0: to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Are y'all ready to dive in the Word this morning? Amen. We're starting a brand new series called The Four Giants. Uh, And in this series, um, you know, I was really hesitant. Just leave that graphic on the screen for a few minutes because I was really hesitant about this graphic because it's kind of scary. Okay. It's kind of scary, but a few months ago, I had a dream, and in my dream, this is almost an exact uh, representation of what was in my dream. Rather than it being the bridge, it was the two-story building on the facility that we're trying to buy, and it was an apocalyptic scene. It looked, I was, y'all, I was terrified. I woke up in a sweat, in a panic, breathing heavy. My CPAP machine didn't know what to do. It was like, bro, blow in or blow out? What's going on here, buddy? You done? What's happening, you know? And, and, and it, it scared me, it terrified me. And so I don't know how you do, but but whenever I have a dream like that and I wake up and it's vivid and I remember like all the details of it, um, I, I start to think internally, okay, is this something God is trying to show me? Because, I mean, Satan is not going to come to me in a dream and show me, hey, there's four giants over the top of your building. Okay, that's not something that the enemy's going to be like, oh, just, <laughs> let's let him in on the plan, guys. No, this is a spiritual dream that God was showing me. So I started looking internally, okay, like are there... Are these four giants something that's in my life? And so what I felt like I heard in that dream was poverty, family, thoughts, and what I say. And so I started internalizing, well, is this what's going on? So I started spending some time praying and thinking. I even shared this one night at men's group when we were um, still meeting at Matt Proctor's house. And and I just kind of unpacked that. And I, I made it more internally about me than about anything else, thinking that it was about me. I began, though, to realize that what the Lord was showing me, the bigger picture, was that this is not something that was necessarily specific to me, but to this county and to this region of Texas. So as God began to speak more about it, I began to understand the four giants, and it became clearer. What I initially heard was not the giants necessarily, but symptoms of what was going on in Liberty County. Before I go further, I think I need to take a moment and explain what I mean by giants. When I say giants, I'm talking about territorial spirits that have, empower, that have been empowered by the enemy to rule over a region. That's what I'm talking about. Territorial spirits that have been empowered to rule over a region. Now, because this is not typically what you talk about on a Sunday morning, okay, in these texts, let me, let me just explain to you biblically what I mean by these territorial spirits. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is met by a man with A legion of demons inside of him. And in verse 10, the demon begged Jesus not to send them away from the region to the place where they were assigned. This is biblical. In Matthew 12, Jesus tells us that demons clearly seek out a place to inhabit because the demons are, quote, passing through waterless places seeking rest. It's very interesting. Waterless places. Why not just places? Why waterless places? It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit is constantly in the Scripture seen as water. So it's an encouragement to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you've got the water of the Spirit in your life, then that demon can't find a place that's waterless. Come on, y'all. Get your relationship with Jesus where it needs to be. That's the truth. You need to pray on your own time. You need to read Scripture on your own time. You need to worship on your own time. Why? Because it fills you with the water of the Holy Spirit and a demon can't find rest inside of you. In Daniel 10, Daniel was praying for God to answer for over three weeks. Some of y'all have been praying for three months and you feel like you don't have an answer. Well, an angel finally appeared to Daniel and said that God answered the first day. But again, we see in verse 10, interesting, verse 10, that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood the angel for 21 days. Now, we know that it wasn't the prince of Persia, like the actual man, because what man can stand against God's holy angels? I mean, my goodness, if Michael the archangel appeared right here, I wouldn't be like, duke up, bro, like, let's do it. You know, I'd be scared to death. I'd probably already be on the ground going, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'd be terrified. A man can't stand against that. This was clearly a demonic giant that was sent to thwart the plan, of the, enemy, uh, the plan of God, and to sow discord and evil in that region. Listen to me, there are giants Satan has stationed in Liberty County to see God's plan thwarted, his kingdom stunted, and the people ruined. That's the truth. So then, what are these giants? And even more importantly, what do we do about them? Well, identifying giants isn't always easy. It's not always simple. And, and, but some were kind of easy to identify. One of them that was super easy was the poverty spirit. Man, the poverty spirit is something that has invaded this region, and it's been here for a long, long time. Uh, another one is a spirit of addiction. And before you think that addiction means like drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff, you can be addicted to so many things. You can be addicted to what people think about you. You can be addicted to getting affirmation constantly. You can be addicted to cigarettes or to drugs or to alcohol. You can be addicted to making money and you never have enough. The third was a little tougher to identify. I believed at first it was a spirit that attacks the family, creating disunity at the home. But as I began to dive deeper, I saw the same disunity beyond the family in friendships and relationships uh, and businesses. Uh, in churches, how they interacted with each other, and even inside of the church family. And, and as God spoke, I believed that the third giant he showed me, uh, as soon as he dropped the word in, I was like, oh, man, that's it. It's a spirit of discord. Yeah. Discord is an intentional lack of agreement, trust, and faith between two people that creates separation and disunity. Man, the moment that word hit my brain, I was like, dude, that is, I see it everywhere in this county, in this region. The last one was really hard to identify. Last week, I was uh, getting ready for bed, and as I was getting ready, um, I just heard the Lord drop into my head, hey, go look at Goliath's brothers. Now, you know about David and Goliath, I'm sure, but you may not know that Goliath had some brothers, okay? Um, and guess how many, giants, how many giants there were in, in, in uh, Goliath's family? You know how many? There were four. Listen to this in 1 Chronicles 20, 4-8. And after this, there arose war with the Philistines of Gezer, and Sibakai the Hushethite, um, his family, they were real quiet, real quiet people. <laughs> Sorry. Shh. Struck down Sipai, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan the son of Jair, struck down Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite. Like, it's almost like reading Lord of the Rings, isn't it? The shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Who else have you heard that about? Goliath himself, 1 Samuel uh, 17. And there was again war at Gath, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also descended from the giants. Let me just pause right here and say there's a picture floating around the Internet right now of a young boy from from Palestine and Gaza, the, the Gaza area, Gaza Strip, where he's holding up his hand, and he has six fingers. And so everybody's saying it's AI generated because AI messed up on the six fingers. I find it interesting that these giants. Anyway, moving on. If that guy's eight feet tall, I'm calling Jesus. Um, he had 24 in number. And when he, listen, and when he taunted Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Four brothers but only three named. Does that sound familiar? God showed me three of them, but I was having a hard time finding out the fourth one. Six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in number. He was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, that word taunt stuck in me. So I went to look up what taunt meant. To provoke or challenge in a mocking or insulting manner. To jeer at bitter invective which is abusive speech it's from the latin word tenter which means to tempt try or provoke i'm convinced the final giant is a taunting spirit that tempts and provokes and prides i think i think that last one is the one that's kind of controlling everything These four seem spot on. So I asked our team what they thought, because team is our structure here at Freedom Church. And so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me thinking this. What does our team think? And every single one of them said, yeah, that's it. Poverty, addiction, discord and taunting. Let me ask you this. Do these resonate inside of you? Okay, so we've identified them now, what? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says this, For the we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So what do we do with the giant? Here's what we do, y'all. We take them down. We take them down. So... Let's start today with the poverty mentality. Listen, you always have to start with what is biblical. I made sure to put this on the screen because I really need you to see this. It's not just a people in ministry principle, but a life principle. In every situation, in every season, start with what the Bible says. This is the main way to keep heresy out of your life. So whenever something flies up in your life, don't go run to your coworker. Or run to your BFF and say, hey, what do you think about this? What does the Bible say first? Because here's what happens. Now, I don't like this, but it happens. The first person to tell the story always, ta- always taints the listener's understanding of what happened. So somebody might tell you a falsity, and but because they've told you a falsehood, you automatically think that that's what happened. And So when somebody comes and tells you the truth, now you've got to be convinced of the truth. Go look at what the Bible says first. So let's look at what the Bible says, Proverbs 6, 10 through 11, about the poverty spirit. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 10, 15, the wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. Now, what does this mean? This says, just like a rich person thinks their money will save them, a poor person thinks their poverty will destroy them. And so what happens is either riches or poverty become your identity. And so if you're, if you're rich, you think I'm safe because I got bank. If you're poor, you think I'm destroyed because I have nothing. Proverbs 11, 24, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Notice how it's the generous person who increases even though he scatters. How can he increase as he scatters? Because the, the, the generous person understands that giving... That, that pouring out means that I'm planting seeds. I might harvest some of them. I might not. But a generous person doesn't care because guess what? It's not the land that fills his bag. It's the Lord that fills his bag. But a person who is in poverty, they, they keep more than they should because they're terrified that they're not going to have enough. Haggai 1.6 describes the effects of the spirit of poverty you planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So let's talk about some of the symptoms of the poverty spirit. One is a pattern of unemployment or underemployment. You sow but you do not reap because your spiritual ground is cursed as a result of your refusal to be in financial covenant with God. So many people, it's heartbreaking, so many people get caught up on tithing and their negative connotations around tithing that they don't realize that it's cursing your ground. Malachi 3, go see what the Bible says, it's cursing your ground. We've got to get over this. We've got to move past it and just be faithful to what God says has given us this. The third one is debt continues or grows despite all efforts to eliminate it. A pattern of evictions, foreclosures, repossessions or other financial brokenness. That's apparent. Chaos and confusion is evident regarding possessions. Things are lost, broken, ruined. Appliances, vehicle, clothing, household items. Constant need for instant gratification and repulsion to delayed Gratification. We are really bad at this in America. Did y'all know this? We have these things called microwaves, and you can put your chickens in, and in three minutes you can be eating chickens. Back in the old days, you had to wait. You had to wait. Like some of us don't even like using the oven. It's going to take 15 minutes. You didn't have to go kill a chicken and skin it, did you? Like, just put it in the oven. Your purse or bucket has holes in it. Regardless of what goes in, it never seems to stay there or be enough. Non-stop thought processes that always have you as the victim. And a negative gut reaction to encouragements for you to give or to be generous. This is not a complete list. These are just some. So now we've seen some of the symptoms. What are some of the roots of the poverty mentality? One of them is generational. Now, we can have an argument over whether generational things could. Well, the Bible says that the sins of the father, the sins of the father is not going to be visited on the children. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But don't think for one second that if your daddy was an alcoholic and your grandpa was an alcoholic and your second great grandpa was an alcoholic and your auntie was an alcoholic, that Satan's not going to tempt you with some drink. Okay. If meth has run in your family since meth was a thing, don't think for one second that Satan's not going to tempt you with that. If rejection has run in your family, don't think for one second that rejection isn't going to try to attack you. This is generational. Families who are generationally impoverished at the most are influenced by this spirit and are at the least taught that this is just how life is. Lack of emotional security in childhood. This is another one. When you are raised in an environment of constant lack in every state, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, this mentality can fester. Now, you might find riches in your life even though you grew up in this state. But what it will make you do is try to hoard. It'll try to make you keep things. You'll, you'll break something and you'll keep it because it's like you might need it at some point. That's that spirit still attached to you. I, okay, let me, let me just glass house. I don't want none of y'all to come into my storage unit back at my house. Listen to me. As the pastor... I'm not immune to this either. Sometimes y'all forget I'm just a sheep too. Okay? I, I'm, I, I will, there's not going to be a moment where I'm up here trying to tell you I've got all this figured out. Because if you go into my shed right now, you're going to see a hoverboard that ain't worked for four years. Why? Because I might need a wheel off of it. Throw it away, Jason. You know what? Don't judge me. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> the next one is idolatry. When we idolize having as a result of not having, we assign our devotion and our worship to that which is not God. We will worship a deal. God will say, hey, I want you to be fiscally responsible. And we'll tell ourselves, but this deal, it may never happen again. And we'll spend what God told us to save. All right, y'all don't want to talk. Okay, that's all right. Worldly indoctrination. What about this one? Worldly indoctrination. Delayed gratification, saving, need purchasing versus want purchasing, living on credit. These are all a part of the American dream. Don't think for one second that financiers in the United States want you to be debt free. They can't make money off of you if you're debt free. Now, I'm not saying don't have a credit card, but you better not let that credit card have you. Well, it's okay. Just swap it because we'll we'll pay it back at some point. Pay a 28% interest. And I'll tell you something, I'll never forget this. My first year at Lamar University, I was, I was, I just turned, well, I was 18 years old. I was about to turn 19 years old, and I was walking through the set center one day, and there was some, somebody over there with this credit card sign or whatever it was like, so was, they were going to give a free T-shirt, and I just wanted a free T-shirt. So I signed up for the little thing, didn't realize I was signing up for a credit card, and as soon as that credit card came, you know what I did to it? I went straight to Bennigan's and had a meal. Actually, it was the Monte Cristo, thank you very much. (laughs) They take a sandwich and they fry it. Like, I mean, how can you be more American than that and call it Irish? (laughs) And there began my descent into overweight. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) There was an old commercial. I I used to think it was hilarious until I grew up and understood what it meant. It was a guy riding around on a lawnmower in front of his house. Beautiful house. Two story. It was like the Home Alone house. He was riding on this brand new lawnmower. His wife had a beautiful car in the drive and um, some voiceovers talking, and um, they said, You must have a great job. How did you afford all this? He says, No, I don't have a great job. I'm just in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> Societal labels. What about this one? Society will label people as poor, underclass, low class, needy, and if you hear it enough, you begin to believe it. And then lastly, territorial spirits. We can never underestimate the power of territorial spirits. You may have never had a struggle with addiction or poverty mentality, discord, etc. before you moved here. I never experienced discord in my family until I moved here. And it hurts me. Because a relationship that I valued so much is broken right now. And I don't know how to fix it. And I never thought of a day where I would be at odds with this person. And it was over something so insignificant. It's so silly. But there's brokenness. And it only happened when we moved here and planted this church. You don't have to prove territorial spirits to me. I'm I'm living one of them right now. Daniel 10 proves that there are territorial spirits designed to stop the work of God in your life. So let me just give you a disclaimer right now. I'm not saying that you have absolutely no responsibility in your life for what's going on. That's just the devil attacking me. Uh, Listen, we can't say that. We can't just because there are some things that are going on in your life. Listen to me. I love you. But some things is your fault. You did it. You made the decision. I made the decision. I didn't think it through. I didn't pray. I just went and did it and then hoped God would fix my mistake. Well, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. No, it's not. It's not. Okay? Because here's why. Permission gives God the opportunity to save you from pain. But forgiveness means you got to endure it. So you can choose either delayed gratification and no pain or get what you want when you want it and suffer. So how do we take this giant down? I'm going to give you three things, and then we're going to pray a prayer confession at the end here. And we're not only going to break that spirit in our lives by the power of the name of Jesus, we are going to pull it down in this area. Do you hear me? There's a reason God called us to plant this church in the county seat and not six miles to the west. Number one is identify your source. Who's your source, church? The Gadarene man, look at this in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you don't torment me. Now let me give you some context here. This was what the demons responded to Jesus after Jesus commanded the demons to come out. If you look at the text, it's not chronological. You read, well, you read their response first. And then you see in verse 8 it says, For he said to him, that means that it was previous to the response of the demons. For he said to him, Come out of the man unclean spirit. And he and then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is the Legion, for we are many. I'm gonna tell y'all what? If somebody said that to you to the deodorant out at Walmart, I don't know what y'all do. Yeah, there are a lot of deodorant choices here. You know what I'm saying? Like you'd be gone. Let me show you some things to note here. Number one, Jesus demanded the spirit identify itself. When evaluating whether or not you have this spirit, demanding it to identify itself is scriptural. Years ago, this was this was when my parents had a house off of West Houston Street. This was two houses ago. Um, um, I was I was struggling with some things. I think it was 2005. It was one of the worst years of my life. 2005 was a horrible year for me. and I was standing in their restroom, and I was looking at myself in the mirror, and I was straight struggling, y'all. I was having a hard time. And I just looked in my eyes, and I was almost like trying to look into my soul. You ever tried to that? Like, like you, you, get to, you look so hard that you don't know which eye to look at, so you just start looking right here, you know. So I was looking at myself, and I said, who are you? And immediately the words that came into my head were, my name is I.O. Meaning that I'm always insufficient. I didn't know at the time, but it was an orphan spirit speaking to me. And 10 years later, it would die. So here's what I want you to do right now. Just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Well, he's finishing already. <laughs> no, we, no, no. Close your eyes. Even if you think you might have this issue, here's what you do right now. Just say it. Let, you don't have to yell it, but just let words come out of your mouth. What is your name? You may have heard something. If you didn't, open your eyes. If you didn't, I want you to go home today. I want you to look at yourself in the mirror. I want you to stare at yourself. The eyes are the window to the soul. I want you to peer into your soul and demand it to identify itself. Now, before you think this is weird, hokey spiritualism, it's not. It's biblical. We literally just read it. Jesus said, who are you? What is your name? Demons begged Jesus not to torment them. As we're talking about this, do you feel uneasy kind of right now? Do you, is, is what I'm saying maybe a little uncomfortable when we're talking about identifying a spirit that may or may not be in you? Perhaps that's the poverty spirit that is influencing you, that's been influencing people here since at least 1818 when this area was settled. Maybe it's like Legion 2,000 years ago. So once you identify the spirit, then you identify your source. Okay, so if a poverty spirit is speaking to you and is influencing you, now listen, I don't believe that as a Christian you can be, like, possessed with a demon. But you can be oppressed by a demon. You can be oppressed by a spirit. So I'm not, we're not going to throw water on you and call the demon out of you, stuff like that. Like, that's not what we're going to do here today. But we're going to speak to those spirits that are oppressing and we're going to demand them to flee. But it's got to start with you understanding who your source is. So if you have been influenced by a poverty spirit Number one, God has called us to live an abundant life. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they have life and life more abundantly. We're connected to the true vine. I hope you're connected to the vine. John 15.5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. For whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it could be the reason that you are experiencing a poverty spirit right now and you feel that you can't do anything is because you're not actually connected to the vine. What about this one? It's God who supplies. Philippians 4, to 13 and then 19. We love this 4-13 verse, but... Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need... I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. What's Paul saying? I found my source. And in verse 19, he says, he like doubles down. It says, not only will God do that for me, if you will make him your source, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hey, let me me give you a little life hack here. Needs, not wants. How can we dwell in a poverty mentality when God is our source? Well, if we're under the influence of a poverty spirit, it's indicative that we've made something else our source. Now, this could be a result of one of the roots we talked about before. It could be the result of a broken or missing covenant between you and God. It could be intentional. It could be unintentional. But you need to ask yourself, am I being influenced by a poverty spirit? And if so, is it because I've made something other than God my source? I know in my own life that that I've had to come to terms with the absolute fact that while I might not have invited a poverty spirit in, I certainly allowed it by my thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Things like, I'll never have enough. My narrative with the orphan spirit was that I'm good, I'm just not good enough. How is that possible if God is enough? Or, Or I'm always in lack. How can that be if God supplies all my needs? I'm never satisfied. Maybe it's just like my mother. Right? Come on. Prince knew about it. But how can that be when I can only be satisfied in him? Listen, if you're not satisfied with your Christianity, you're not spending enough time with him. Cold stop. That's it. Because if you really got to know him, if Jesus can't satisfy you, you broke. At the end of the day, if God is not my source, it's because I don't believe he can supply all my needs. Let's get to the brass tacks. Okay? If God's not my source, it's because I think I can do it better than him. Or something else can do it better. God, money works better than you do in this area down here. I'm going to give you Sunday, but you give me Monday through Saturday. I'm happy to trust him for eternity that I can't control, but not for right now that I can control. A poverty spirit is more than not having enough. It's not being enough. Remember, God is more concerned with your being than your doing. That's why when Moses asked the burning bush to identify itself, God said, I am, not I do. I think Moses was influenced by a poverty spirit at the burning bush. You know why? Because he says, I can't talk. He says, they won't listen. Pharaoh won't do it. He was telling the burning bush, God Almighty talking to him in a desert through a burning bush, You're not enough. And do you know what? Whenever we allow the poverty mentality, the poverty spirit to operate in our lives, we're telling God, you are not enough. The poverty spirit is not only trying to keep you in physical lack, it's trying to keep you in spiritual lack. And the reason it uses physical lack is because Satan has always challenged what God does, but never who God is, okay? So if, if I'm in lack... What happens is if you can't see God doing, what happens is it's too easy to believe that he isn't doing. And so what it means is if I'm in lack, it means that he's not the provider that he says he is. That's a lie. If I lack, it means that he just isn't my source. So when God is your source, lack is not only not an issue, it isn't even a thought simply because the God who is enough is faithful to supply everything you need. The second one is we need to redefine success. The poverty spirit will tell you more money is the answer to success. Okay? What's the Bible say about that? Well, let's look in Mark chapter 10 with a rich young man. Starting verse 21, Jesus looking at the man felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. me ask you this if he was so content why did he feel the need to ask Jesus how to inherit eternal life I'll tell you why because he wasn't content in his success even with what he had poverty rails against prosperity but we have to be careful that we don't automatically assume that money means prosperity okay some of the most fulfilled people in the world are not successful in societal terms they're just not Success isn't about what you do or don't have. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, as I mentioned before, making Jesus your source. If he isn't the focus of your life, and if that relationship isn't the focus, and if it's not the mark of success, then you're never going to have enough. You're never going to be enough, and you're never going to be satisfied. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom first, and then everything else you need will be supplied. I, I'm convinced that sometimes we don't have what we need simply because we are seeking the thing we need and not the one who can give it to us. Romans fourteen seventeen through 18, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So how do we redefine the success? It's, it's a few steps, but I'm just going to give you two today. The number one is you focus on your soul prosperity. Not your bank account prosperity. Not your big fancy house prosperity. And listen, God's okay with you having a big bank account. He's okay with you having a nice house. Have a nice car. What do we always say here? Don't let them have you. Okay? Here's what the word says, though. Uh, uh, Third John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Let me ask you this. If you read into that verse, it says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Is there a direct correlation between your soul and prospering in all things in your health? The second one is to improve what you have. Well, God, I can't make it on what you gave me. Okay? Luke 16, 10. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You ever you ever heard of somebody that they win the lotto, they'll hit like 10 million a lotto, and three years later they're broke again? Listen to me, money won't fix it. I love Kevin Fleetwood. He says, Jason, it's just money. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> you know, the, the stuff that we work. 40, 60, 80, 90, 100 hours a week for? The stuff that we're away from our families for? i got to pay my house note. I hear you, man. I hear you. I just wonder for me. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about me. I wonder if my wantsies need to decrease so that my needsies aren't increasing. You hear what I'm saying? If my wants can decrease, if I can be content with what I have, and not need the new 15 iPhone Pro with titanium. Titanium. It's a rock that fell from the heavens. They made a phone out of it. My 14 works fine. My 10 probably giggy has my 10. It's still working fine. So maybe I need to take my own advice. Maybe we all need to take that advice. Okay. And the last one is this. Sorry, let me say this first. Do these things, focus on your soul prosperity, improve what you have. Do these things and you'll discover that success is not in bank accounts or tangible items, but in a soul that is flourishing, a spirit that is healthy, and a heart that is satisfied no matter the situation. Come on, church, don't y'all want that? Don't you want your heart to be content in every season? And when, when it's summertime and your City of Liberty bill for electricity goes into the quadrillion, million, thousand dollars, like, don't you want to be able to just go, you know what, God will provide and cut the light off. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> we're taking our tax return and switching to LEDs. <laughs> Listen to me, we do need to be careful with how we spend and what we spend on. But but, but hear my heart, you also need to trust that God is your source and not your job, not your bank, not your investments not whether or not we're going to get this next business deal, not the new job. It's not bad to have all those things and do all those things. But they're not your source. So we need to redefine success. And the last one is this. Understand prosperity. I read Paul's treatise on contentment in Philippians 4. It's to be content in every circumstance. That allows us to prosper. But think about what Jesus said about this, too, in Matthew eight twenty. Jesus said, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Y'all, king of the universe. The let there be light guy. I am in the bush, that guy. The fourth man in the fire, he ain't got a house. Yet he still tells us in John 10.10 10, to come live abundantly with him. How can that be? Because prosperity is not about Things. We have to understand that the poverty spirit drives us to consuming, not contentment. Success is not in what we can consume, but contentment with our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the difference between consuming and contentment? Well, consuming turns greed inside of us and causes us to take, hoard, and cling to things that we think will make us content. But do you know who else acts like that? Satan. Look at what he did. He was greedy for the glory that belonged to God, and he tried to hoard it to himself, and he convinced a third of the angels to come along with him. And he was kicked out of heaven to roam and devour, looking for people to devour. That's what 1 Peter 5.8 tells us. Look at what, Luke, what Jesus said in Luke 12.15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is telling us that life is, is about... More than lusting for things. Look at the context, though, of that verse. We, we always like the verse, but maybe not the context. Starting in 16, he says, he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, eat drink. And be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus would not mince any words, would he? But he's not saying that it's bad to have things. He's saying saying it's bad to have him outside of a relationship with Jesus. Now, why is that? I'm convinced that if you are not 100 with Jesus, then you will misuse the blessing that God gave you. Okay? This isn't a condemnation of saving or expanding and prepping for the future. Do all of that. Build barns. Knock yourself out. But it's a condemnation of a consuming, devouring attitude rather than living a content and generous life. Why do you think God allowed the rich man to succeed? Why do you think? I remember the first message I ever heard preached at New Covenant Church that made me go, this is where I'm supposed to be. It's a guy named Mike Mitchell. Wasn't even the senior pastor preaching. He preached on giving. And his whole entire point was that God doesn't bless you so you can have more. He blesses you so you can give more. It isn't so he could consume more. It's so he could bless more. How do we understand prosperity? Here's what. We realize that we don't get to have, but to give. I wrote this down and it impacted me and I'm going to tell it to you as well. Be careful you don't consume what God has given you to bless others. Be careful you don't consume what God has given you to bless other people. Proverbs 11, 5, 25 says this, whoever brings a blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. The Spirit is designed to keep you from being generous, content, and a blessing. It's designed to put enmity between you and God. Convincing yourself that God's not your provider. It's designed to keep you in a generational pattern of lack. But it must fall. In, in, In 1 Samuel 17, David faced Goliath. And this seemed like a mismatch. And when you consider a poverty spirit that has ruled over this county for at least 200 years, it can seem a mismatch as well. It's like, uh, I'm just a knucklehead from Jasper, planted a church in Liberty. How am I supposed to tear down this massive giant that has for, for hundreds of years been impacting this area? But here's the thing, I'm not alone in the fight. Consider David and Goliath. Consider that story. We're going to pick this up in 1 Samuel 17, 40, and then we're going to end here. Here's what it says. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and when he, approached the Phil- uh, when he approached the Philistine, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. Like, God let Samuel flex a little bit on David. Like, you know, he's like, he's good looking too. Okay, so, and the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the field. What was Goliath telling David? I will devour you. Sound familiar? And David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and with a spear and with javelin. But I come, in, I come to you in the name of the Lord, a host, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a spear not with a sword for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you in our hand who am I to come against the giant it's not just me because if you look behind me there is an army of the living God And we have we have gotten so afraid of the image that we see of these giants in our lives. We've gotten so terrified, thinking we can't we can't do this. How am I supposed to go? I'm supposed to save. I'm supposed to. No. What am I supposed to do? Here's what you do. You do what David did. He came to that giant and he started to worship the Lord and started to proclaim what God was going to do, proclaiming the promises of God against the giant. We know the rest that the giant fell. It's interesting that David chose five stones, but he only needed one. Five is the number of grace in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. We're called living stones in 1 Peter 2 and 5. So maybe we should stop being afraid of a poverty spirit and load up. We topple the giant once and for all through our confession. What we're about to say is just words. It's just words. But confession is the process by which we're saved. It's the way we're forgiven. And it's how we battle. Just like the stone flew from David's thing to top of the giant, we will speak and allow these words to stop the work of the poverty spirit in our lives. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take a moment right now. And close your eyes. And before we go to war, I want you to begin to worship and praise Him in your own way. You don't have to yell across the room and go nuts just right now. Thank Him for everything you have. Thank Him for every gift that comes from the Father Lights. If you've got a, If you've got an awesome business, thank God for it. If you've got a healthy family, thank God for it. If you've got something good to proclaim to the Lord, thank Him for it right now. I thank you in the storm. I thank you when the seas are smooth. I thank you in every season, God. You are my provider. You are my source. You are the hope of my salvation, God. I trust in you, Jesus. And giants are going to fall today in the name of Jesus. We're going to confess a prayer today. And I want, you to, I want you to open your eyes and read it on the screen. Read it with us. But here's the thing about confession. It's not something that can happen in your brain. Confession is, a, is out of the mouth, you know. It's like I, I was thinking this week about when David shot that sling. It, 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 we had to see it go to the enemy. It's like when I asked Jesus why he spit on the ground and put the mud in the guy's eyes. Like, that's disgusting. It's, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's because I need you to see it came out of my mouth. So I'm not asking you to yell it across the room, but I'm asking you to let air come out of your mouth. Confess this today. Come on, let's tear down this giant in the name of Jesus. Father, I confess now that a spirit of poverty has affected how I think, believe, and act. I acknowledge that the poverty spirit has influenced me and my family. I repent before you, Lord, for my involvement with the poverty spirit and come out of agreement with the poverty spirit in the name of Jesus. By the power of your blood and your Holy Spirit in me, Lord, I dismantle it. Bind it from attaching itself to me or my dependents and command it to flee and never return. I speak your blessings over my family and myself for a thousand generations according to your word in Deuteronomy 7 and 28. In the name of Jesus, I cancel all poverty curses confessions, and lies from my mind, will, and emotions. I also command by the mighty name of Jesus that all accompanying spirits that have created doubt, unbelief, and false identities that do not belong to me to flee and never return. I am a new creation. And all things are made new in you, Jesus. I confess you are my source, God. Thank you, Lord, for deliverance. I receive the blessing that comes with my role as your child. In Jesus' mighty name. And right now, Father, we collectively, as a body of believers in this county, pull down the poverty spirit in Liberty County. We rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of poverty. flee and never return in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. God, the void that was created by this Spirit, I speak right now the blessings of Almighty God into it. I'm not talking about a a prosperity gospel, but I'm talking about your gospel, Lord. Lord, that people will not chase after money and possessions anymore, but they will chase after you. A heart that longs for you in the mighty name of Jesus. Listen to me, church. Just because the stronghold fell doesn't mean the battle is over. The moment the giant fell and David cut the head off, there was still an army. But listen to me right now. The army is fleeing. So don't sit back. Don't sit back and think it's all over with. Pursue the enemy to the gates. What does that mean in real life? That means when it comes to your finances. Pursue holiness in your finances. When it comes to understanding prosperity, ask God to give you a new understanding. Now come on, let's end with giving him praise and glory. You're good, God. You're our provider. Everything we have is from you. We submit ourselves to you right now, God. Everything, our wants, our needs, our desires, everything we submit to you. And right now, Father, we receive the blessing that comes from being as your children. God, we are yours, God. We praise you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, come on church, say amen. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com slash connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.